Well, good morning, everybody. We'll go ahead and before we get into the message this morning, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for letting us be gathered here today. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would be uh, with us as uh, I prepare the message. God, as I uh, present it, Lord, I pray that uh, it would not just be for inspiration, Lord, but it would be for so much more than that. Uh, just as your word says, I pray that it would teach us, uh, Lord, that it would reprove us, God, that we would grow in righteousness and sanctification. Uh, Lord, and so right now I pray that you would be with me uh, as I present the message, Lord, as much as I pray for those uh, in the congregation, Lord, that we would have, uh, that you would soften our hearts, Lord, that you would uh, just allow us to receive the word as it comes. And Lord, we thank you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. It's great seeing you all here this morning. Always glad at the opportunity. I, anytime I get to come and present the gospel for everybody. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in, we're going to be beginning in Romans chapter one, because this morning we are going to be talking about uh, spreading the gospel and discipleship. And so uh, this morning, as you are getting there, uh, I would like to ask a question of, by a show of hands, is anybody in here ashamed of the gospel of Christ? At just a show of hands. That is not, not ashamed. That is, is anybody actually ashamed of the gospel? Good. I'm glad no hands were raised. That would have been very awkward for your neighbor. Uh, but this morning, as we are going to be getting into the Word, we are going to look at, uh, from one of Paul's epistles, especially in this day and age, something that is quoted uh, quite often, which will be Romans chapter 1, verse 16. But before we get to there, I would like to start in verse 14, uh, so you can go ahead and get there. But as we go into this, I would like to ask that as nobody had raised their hands, we must look at how we come to the conclusion that we are unashamed of the gospel. And there are questions we must ask ourselves. Are we active in prayer? Not just at mealtime, not just asking the Lord to bless our uh, dinnertime KFC, but uh, also active in prayer, asking for the Lord to lead us and guide us. Uh, are we reading, and not just reading, but studying Scripture each and every day? Uh, and I may have been gone, but if there's one thing I still love in my messages, it's statistics. And so strap in, I know that excites everybody. Um, data has been revealed that over 181 million Americans opened a Bible in the past year. If COVID has done anything, it has greatly increased Bible numbers. Because folks are really just looking for some answers. But it says this number is up significantly from 2020 when only 169 million. So that is over 12 million additional people reaching for Bibles. And it says just over one third of U.S. adults, that's 34%, read the Bible once a week or more. While half, 50%, Read the Bible less than twice a year, which includes never reading their Bible. And so as we look at this, and you could say, well, this is all of America. This is not looking at just the church. But among churchgoers, every day is at 32%. 
few times a week is at 27%, once a week at 12%, a few times a month at 11%, and rarely or never at 12% of churchgoers. Over a tenth of churchgoers read it on occasion, if at all. But the good news is, is that of those that attend a church, they are up to four times more likely to read their Bibles, studies have shown. So if they are active in a church, they are more likely to read their Bibles. And so although we look at these things and we say, well, this is pretty good, we must also ask, are we active within the church? Not just attending, not just sitting uh, idle by while things go on, but are we serving within the church? And the last question that is almost the most important is if we asked your friends and family with you not even around, would they know that you are a Christian? Not by the fact that you have a little name tag that, you know, when things go on you say, ah, well, I am a Christian, but in the way that you act. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, you will be known by your fruits. Does that show in your life? And so this morning, as we go to our first piece of text, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 14, where he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So here Paul is stating that he is under obligation, or as the KJV would say, he is a debtor to all of these groups of people to preach the gospel. Paul understands that his change, his conversion, this new life that he has been given is not of himself. Therefore, he is in debt to Christ to spread the gospel to those the same way that the gospel was presented to him. Verse 15, it says, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so this must be asked the same of us. Are we eager to preach the gospel? Are we looking for opportunities? Do we get giddy when our friends come to us with a hard time and you say, man, this is how I'm going to share the Lord with them right now. And then finally, the verse we'll focus on for just a moment here. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. When he says in verse 15 that he is eager to go to Rome and preach, he is not eager to go on vacation, he is not eager to go and relax in Rome and look at the sights, he has a sole mission when the Lord will allow him to go to Rome, and that is to preach the gospel. Because for Paul, discipleship and evangelism was not just a small part of his life. This is something he devoted his life to. Each a vast majority of the letters of the epistles that we read from Paul, as you can see in our nice little picture up there, were written from a jail cell. As he sat in prison for the extent and the fervence that he preached the gospel, that he even from jail would go and attempt to help the churches along as he heard good or bad news coming from each of these churches. So this was a massive part of Paul's ministry. And so, but where I would like to look and where we'll take 
a large focus of this today. I wanted to preface with Romans 1, but now if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. To give a little bit of backstory as you all are getting there, Jesus here is about to send the disciples out for the first time to go and preach to Israel. He is preparing them to go, and so he's giving them almost sort of a pep talk. He's giving them not just a pep talk, but as the very first verse will show, this was not very encouraging right from the get-go. Because as he says in verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That does not sound very encouraging. But the same message is true for us, that we are sent out with the gospel as sheep among wolves. And his advice, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Christ was not prepared to lead the disciples then astray, nor is he willing to have us be led astray as disciples of the gospel. He is not going to send you out unbeknownst, ignorant, to the fact of how the world will react when we present the gospel to them. As most of us know, and most of us would say, the world today is not very apt to receive the gospel. They have very much turned away from the Lord. And because of this, though, many of us would love to sit from the outside or from the comfort of wherever we are and say, Wow, look at the ungodly nature of the world as we then choose to not tell it the gospel. And we choose to ignore that out of fear of rejection, out of fear of backlash, whatever it may be. Luckily, when we go out, we can also remember the words of Christ when He says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Me. We don't have to fear, although we are sheep among wolves. And it should also be noted, too, as he says in verse 16 at the very end, so be shrewd as serpents. This is a wisdom. But as so many have seen before, this wisdom does not have to lead to arrogance. We must remember, as Christ said, or as Paul had said numerous times, he was a chief of sinners. Just because we have been saved of sin, just because we have received the gospel, does not make us better than any person we go and preach the gospel to. There does not need to be an attitude of smugness with this. And so going on in our text, he says, But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. I think that it would be very widely known at this point, and I'm sure most of us have seen multiple clips of the situation unfolding over in Afghanistan. Uh, 
and it is something that we look at here in America with broken hearts as we see uh, all of these things that have gone on over there in just the few short weeks since uh, America has pulled its troops from there. Uh, and something that specifically has broken my heart is hearing the multiple reports of the underground church in Afghanistan and what has gone on with them ever since uh, the troops have left. And so right now, because I did not want to post the video because uh, it was a very anonymous, it was an anonymous, anonymously shared video. Uh, both his face and voice were distorted out of fear of what the Taliban may react. But this is a video that was shared. Uh, I'll just read an excerpt from uh, of a pastor from Afghanistan. He says, hello, dear sisters and brothers. I hope you are healthy. Today in Afghanistan is the first day of the Taliban rule. I don't know what the future of this country will be. We are unable to control our emotions because we've worked so hard for 20 years. All of our work over the past 20 years has been lost overnight. Only God understands how much pain we have and how broken our hearts are. We are crying not out of fear, but because our hearts ache for our beautiful country. It has now been destroyed by this savage and extremist group. Every precious thing of value in our nation is now destroyed. The whole world has abandoned us. Those who said they support us have now abandoned us to the worst situation imaginable. He goes on to say, but we are not leaving the field. We will fight harder and will continue in God's work. If we are no longer with you, remember this word from our unbroken hearts. If any of us remain, if our children remain, I have a request. Please do not leave them alone. Please take care of them. Please do not abandon them. I hope this finds you under our Heavenly Father's shelter. And as I watched this video, as I've watched many other videos and heard many other reports of Afghanistan, I just sat in with tears in my eyes as I thought about the extent of faith that is had over in Afghanistan. And yet, so often, we look at such minor things in the U.S. to take that as persecution. When now, when events like this happen, we see true fear come out in a nation that has little to none of the freedoms that we share here in the U.S., and yet we see faith that says we are not going to leave. We are going to stay and continue to do God's work. Even though Christ has said in verse 17, he says, Beware of men, they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And he says later on in verse 23, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but he even says, But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. And yet the faithfulness of our Afghan brothers and sisters in Christ 
to say we cannot leave because we've done too much work in the short amount of time we've had to secretly even meet and share the gospel. And yet, so many of us, myself included, we pass by people every day, dozens of people each and every day with all of our freedoms, with everything we have in this country that we brag so often about, and we don't share the gospel. We're unconcerned with it. We think somebody else will tell them about it. Somebody else can invite them to their church. We work, we talk, and joke with our co-workers and don't make a single mention of Christ. When we have nothing to fear, we have no fear that somebody will kick in the door to our work and ask us to stop speaking on it. We have no fear of any sort of real threat to our lives or to our faith. And yet... We see so many, not just in Afghanistan, but in China, in their underground church, and the hard, laborious work that they put in. And yet here, we love to say, well, you just don't understand, and we have our different reasons. But then Christ goes on, and He eliminates any sort of excuse you could make in verse 21. He says, brother will betray brother to death. And a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So right there, he says, yes, there will be those that are no longer your friend. There will be those that would go to the extent to say they hate you. Uh, although I have been off of it for so long, it very much shows my youth that as I was scrolling through TikTok the other day, uh, I came upon a woman who used to identify as a part of the LGBT community. And God came in and saved her from her sin and turned her to the Lord. And as she sat there, she had a moment of reflection, of knowledge that as she would go to her friends that are still in that community, that still live that lifestyle, that she would more than likely lose all of these friends. But she went on to talk about how the kingdom of God was so much more worth those friends and the gospel is so much more worth losing any amount of people that are unwilling. Even to the point, Christ says, that brother will betray brother to death and a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents. And we know this because more than likely in our friends or in our families, we've seen this. I've had many of friends that were the only Christian in their family. And they would go to their parents time in and time out, begging them to come to church with them. Begging them to have a relationship with Christ. Often going to prayer and saying, Lord, please soften their hearts so they can understand, so they can see you as I see you. 
But that's not always the case. Not that God is unwilling, and not that our prayers mean nothing to Him. But some folks' hearts are just too hardened that our evangelism, our discipleship, will mean nothing to them. But we can, we move on. We don't give up. You don't cease praying for them. We never cease praying for somebody to turn to the Lord. We never cease praying for our friends to turn from their sin. We never cease to pray for our co-workers or whoever it may be. But eventually, we do move on. And we try harder with the next person. And so as he goes on, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. As we look at verse 25 where he says, If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, this is in reference to when the Pharisees, as Jesus was casting out demons in the name of the Lord, they said, well, he does this in the name of Beelzebub. He does. He's, he's casting out devils in the name of the devil himself. And Jesus' response to them was, a house divided against itself will fall. Why would the devil cast out the devil? And so he is saying, if they will... If they will mock, if they will ridicule me, surely you will also be persecuted. You also will go through this. But there is an important thing to be heard here in verse 26. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. That does not just apply to the unbeliever. That applies very much for why we are spreading the gospel. Whether or not we are spreading it for our fame or for God's fame. For my glory or for the Lord's. All of these things will be revealed. Because the Lord already knows our heart. And when we stand before Him one day on the judgment seat... All these things will be revealed. It will not be a mystery. And even if we deny it in our hearts and we say, God, this isn't for my glory. I promise this is for you. God knows the innermost being of our heart. If there's a hint of pride in it, if there is a hint of I'm going to do this to show how good I am, those things will be revealed. But then he goes on in verse 27 and he says, What I tell you in the darkness... Speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. This was exactly what we saw from Paul. We saw people who were willing to go into the street all throughout Acts. Stephen, Peter, we saw all of these people who no matter what was at stake, no matter who they stood before, they were willing to preach the gospel. 
Because as Peter had already been warned standing here among the disciples, it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. He's saying you don't have to be nervous. The reason that these people, as they stay in these countries, in these underground churches, with the fear of death coming to them, the reason that they hold in their faith is because the Spirit is sustaining them. They are not afraid because they have the peace that only God can bring. So in that moment, as I'm sure many people, when they have guns trained on them and they are saying, you will renounce your faith or die, and they are emboldened in their faith to say, I won't do it. That is not they who speak, but it is the Lord. They are filled with this. And so we must look at ourselves and say, are we willing to proclaim the gospel? Not to be ashamed. Not to care who the person at work may be, what they think, any of these things. We do not know what God will do for the person that we are preaching to. We never know. Only the Lord knows that. But the Lord can do nothing with a person who we never preach the gospel to, who we never present Christ to. We can have no part of that. And so, many of us must really examine our hearts, look at where our friendships are at, where we are at with our family, of how often and with what sort of boldness we are presenting the gospel. As he goes on, in verse 28, he says, Do not fear those that kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. As we look through this, he's saying, don't fear them. I'm sure this is a verse that would be much on my mind should the Lord call me to mission work. Should I be called to go and lead an underground church? The same way these pastors and these ministers and these men and women of God, as they are presenting and receiving the gospel this is very much a verse that probably leans very hard in their head and on their hearts. Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Because this is what is at stake when we say, I'll, I'll tell them next week. Uh, I'll, I'll tell them when it's a better time. Maybe if we meet up after work, I'll talk with them. Maybe at the next family reunion, we'll talk. Maybe at the next family event, we'll talk. They, we've got time. Well, first of all, Scripture itself says, no man knows the day or the hour when the return of the Lord will be. Nor do we know when our final moment on this earth will be. So, we cannot speak into when is a good or an acceptable or a convenient time to present the gospel. I would almost argue, especially with the unbeliever that you're speaking with, there will more than likely never 
be a convenient time to spread the gospel. Because if they're going to react one way to you, that is not going to change rain, shine, good day, bad day. There is never going to be a more convenient time. So, when we look at this, we must remember the cost. And we must decide whether or not spreading the gospel is worth it. But why? Why does this have any importance? And the reason is it has great importance. Because then you go forward, just one verse. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. We can either confess Christ or we are denying Christ. And that's the ultimate question. When you look at, am I ashamed of the gospel? Are we confessing Christ to those around us? Or are we denying Christ to those around us? And as he finishes, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. It's a scary thing to say with my wife sitting so close to my mother. (laughs) And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. The gospel is divisive. There will be many people in our lives who do not want to hear the gospel. There will be people who deny it for years. There will be people who deny it for months. And the Lord may work in their heart and change their heart. But we must remember that some of those people may even be within our household. There may even be people, our brothers, our sisters, aunts, uncles, moms, dads, grandfathers, grandmothers, whoever it may be, where the gospel is decisive or divisive. And yet, we must still proclaim it. Why? Why would I create a division, a possible division, when I could keep the peace, when everything could be okay? Because the gospel is that important. The gospel is more important than anything else on this earth. That is why Paul had such an obligation. We are not talking friendship or no longer friendship. When we preach the gospel, we are preaching heaven or hell. That's an important thing. Too important to worry about such relationships. 
too worried to think about my coworkers pointing and laughing at me because I decided to say, hey, I'm not going to go out wherever with you guys, but I would love for you guys to come to church with me. Too important to care about other people's opinions. And so, we cannot put any person before Christ. He who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Caitlin and I speak on this all the time. That we love each other, but before even each other, Christ comes first. Because if Christ doesn't come first, we acknowledge any time we may get into an argument, any time there may be, excuse me, any time there may be any sort of tension between us. If Christ does not come first in our marriage, we'll see problems in our marriage. If Christ does not come first in our relationships with our parents, with our family, even if they deny the gospel, there will always be tension there. Because even amongst non-believers, when we receive grace, how much simpler is it to reveal that grace back? When we are persecuted, when we do have people who insult us and do all these things, it's not just a blessing because we should be happy that somebody's calling us foolish, somebody's calling us dumb for what we believe. But it is that we can then return that grace and say, that's okay. You don't have to agree. As we continue in prayer, as we continue to pray that God would work in their life and in their heart. So we must be willing to lose the life that we desire for the sake of Christ. We must be willing. If the Lord is working a good work in you, as Paul said, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is why the gospel can't wait until tomorrow. This is why we cannot delay in who we minister to. This is why what Craig and I and what we come here to do is so vastly important. Because no matter who may look at me any sort of way, no matter how a person may react, I would like to believe that when I stand before Christ and it breaks my heart, as many of you would probably feel the same way, that there could be a list of those who I wasted time and I wasted the relationship until we stopped talking or we were no longer friends or they were no longer with us and I never once took an opportunity to share the gospel. We never know when that time's going to come. We never know when we're going to stop working somewhere. We never know when we'll stop being friends with somebody. So today, take it upon yourself to let them know that not tomorrow, not next week, not whenever you feel like, today is the day of salvation.